You just got to see this band. This is a pretty damn good recording. Friends of mine, Havoc Theory, Pittsburgh. They got a show coming up at the Smiling Moose. That is March 8th. It's a Friday. That's a good thing. Take a sip of my Soylent Green here. My uh, chords are a little crackly. Rough weekend. So I'm obsessed with this British reporter, uh, Colstani. <laughs> Maybe some of you saw it on Facebook. Guy's a freak. Looks like a Muppet. I'm talking about meteors hitting Russia. I was amused. Uh, so a good movie, Sound City, Dave Grohl Project. Oh, man, it's really, really cool. I, I, I suggest watching it. It's in the theater now. It's on demand for like seven bucks, I think, too. Um, my wife's got me watching Catfish. That MTV show showing how the point-and-click generation is destroying themselves slowly. And uh, I'm in the rerun stage of uh, the show here. Going back to the Red Horse Radio days, me and Heather now have about 30 episodes under our belts. And we're going back to an oldie but goodie. Our buddy, John Russo, writer, director, producer, and actor. Um... You know him from the original Night of the Living Dead. He wrote that one, and he wrote also, of course, although that's a classic, but also Return of the Living Dead, The Brain-Eating Zombies. Hilarious. I love that one. Actually, I really love the soundtrack to that, too. Um, He did stop by Helm's Deep headquarters last year, early in our our, uh, Kettle Whistle Radio days, and uh, much to our amusement. He, He was just such a great guy, and I lured him in 
when I met him at a comic book convention, and uh, I lured him in by talking about my grandma's tomato sauce. <laughs> she was also from the west, well, southern Pittsburgh area, we'll say, and uh, he uh, is very familiar with the Italians' obsession of their own recipe for tomato sauce, and did he get some? No. I still owe him that. Uh, but anyway, he stopped by, and we had a great conversation. He brought his friend Chuck, Chuck Corby, who's a singer and an actor, and their new movie is coming out, actually. Um, let's see now. That's going to be hmm, March 16th at the Hollywood Theater, and Night of the Living Dead is being screened at the Hollywood Theater as well. Now, the Hollywood Theater is in jeopardy because they might be well they're having trouble they have to raise money to get a new projector so the, it's actually a fundraiser for the theater the night of living dead screening and uh, on the second and uh the 16th will be the release of mob boss and the soul singer john russo's new flip that i can't wait to see that chuck corby is actually it all right we'll sit back chill and uh Listen in on this interview, because this guy's a classic, man. He, he's a class act, and he's a hard act to follow, and a great guy to listen to. Uh, all right, folks, here's me and Heather talking with Mr. John Russo. Take care. God bless. Welcome to Kettle Whistle Radio, where today we're not going to talk about Jane's addiction. Rather, our focus is all things Night of the Living Dead. We have two very special guests with us today, uh, John Russo and Chuck Corby. Of course, as you know, John Russo is a man of many roles, uh, producer, director, writer, teacher. He is also the writer of the original Night of the Living Dead. Yes, I said original. Uh, our second special guest is Chuck Corby, singer, musician, songwriter, who has also acted in some of John's movies. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. We didn't know like how we are going to approach this. You know, like, I, I met um, John Russo at a couple of conventions, and he's just a really nice guy. He's out with George Kazana a lot. George Kazana is the uh, the sheriff in the Night of the Living Dead movies, and we all met because of the Big Book of Bizarro. We all got published in that, and that includes John Towers um, and uh, Nelson Piles, of course, and my friend Kimberly Bennett, I, just to name a few. And um, so we've been in the same convention circles for a long time. And it's just really cool that he actually decided. You know, I asked him at Steel City Con, "You want to come over for a, a podcast?" He's like, "Sure," and that was it. So. <laughs> We'll see how it, I mean, they're sitting in the other room right now, and uh, I, mean, I was a little nervous at first, but they just, they're just regular guys, man, you know, and Chuck Corby's his buddy, who's a singer and crooner, and has the, the, these two albums I'm looking at here, Sings the Mob Hits, and the other one is Chuck Corby and Quiet Storm, that's his band, and uh, he's pretty incredible, and I have John Russo's movie music as well, he, he put that out, now I, I'm going to talk to him about that on top of all the movies he's made. I'm sure you have some good questions, too. Yeah, definitely. So he's sporting your Night of the Living Dead shirt yep, as well. Yeah, had to. Yeah, he's going to be really happy about that, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, what do you know about um, Night of the Living Dead and Return of the Living Dead? Um, how far Honestly, I've only you? seen a couple of them. I haven't seen, like, every single one because I know there's a million. But, um, I mean, my favorite, obviously, is Night of the Living Dead because it's the original. And... I don't know. It's just, I, I mean, I first saw it. I didn't see it until, like, high school. I didn't grow up watching it or anything, but... I don't know, there's just something about it that's very appealing, you know, the isolation of a, you know, a farm country and being locked in a house and just having flesh-eating zombies, you know, it's just, it's interesting, you know? That and the fact we're surrounded by that very farm country where all of yeah, that's right? <laughs> kind of brings it back to reality. 
I mean, it's yeah, yeah, and they shoot on location for a lot of his th- a lot of his movies. Um, uh, some of his other movies, The Majorettes, uh, Heartstopper, uh, Santa Claus, which I saw recently, that has Debbie Rochon in it. Um, I believe he's friends with her. Um, and uh, some of his music is featured in a lot of his movies, too. So we'll talk to him about that. I'm not sure how much he's going to want to talk about certain things, but something tells me when we press his buttons, he's just going to go. So uh, I don't know. I, I also should mention that I did buy Rob Zombie's new album on your uh, Oh yeah. On your recommendation, and I like half of it. Yeah, <laughs> like you said, too. half of it, half of it. It's different. It's, yeah, as usual, as usual. But so um, I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to add before we bring our guests into the room? No, let's bring them in before the zombies make their way into your house and <laughs> take them away before you get to even talk to them. Oh, uh, they've been here before. <laughs> they've left me before too. <laughs> Apparently, they don't taste very good. This Heather. You want to continue? That no, that's all right. That's all, right. <laughs> all right. All right. Let me, let me go get our guests. Okay. So again, with me right now, I have screenwriter, director, and actor John Russo, famous for Night of the Living Dead. <coughs> God well, bless, bless you. you. And that was I'm him. Sorry, I told him don't even say God bless you because you might be sounded about fifteen <laughs> times. <laughs> You need sneeze. it, John. Yeah, uh, but not, not everybody gets that in an interview, so that's an exclusive. <coughs> God bless you again. And also, we have Chuck Corby, singer, songwriter, musician, actor, writer, I guess. Did you write that movie script that you have? Or? No, I wrote the songs. Though. You wrote all the songs? Most, okay. Most of Of which I have a collection here. I got two of them. I got movie music, John Russo's movie music, and also got Chuck Corby sings the mob hits. And as you were saying, Mr. Corby, this is from your movie... Uh, not that that particular. Uh, yeah, so some of them are from your movie. The new movie is that Salunatics. Uh, yeah, Salunatics okay. being being retitled the Mobster and the Soul Singer. Right. Oh, and there are a couple falls, songs. There, yeah, Curtain Falls, uh, Beyond the Sea. There's a few of them. <clears throat> now I met you, Mr. Russo, at the Steel City Con, mm-hmm. and um, actually I met you two times prior to that, and that would have been. Um, well, we'll go with this first. The Big Book of Bizarro, we're both in that one. And I'm honored to be in that with you, uh, with one of our other writers, uh, broadcasters, Nelson Pyle, saying uh, your story, Channel 666, is in there. And uh, how did that come about, and how did you meet these guys at Burning Bowl Press? I met the, bur- what is it, Burning Bush? Burning Bowl Press. Burning- <laughs> these guys right here, Rich, Rich met- Bottles and uh, Gary Vincent. I met Gary Vincent at one of the conventions, and I do so many of them that they all kind of blur together. Uh-huh. But I met him uh, probably a couple years ago, and he was putting the big book of Bizarro together, and he asked me if I would like to write a story, and I said, well, I have some stories already written, and they're my stories and I have the rights and let me send you a couple of them and I mentioned Channel 666 which I really like and would like to do as a movie it would be a great movie and he liked the story so he published it in the the big book of Bizarro and I also recommended that uh, George Cassana who travels with us to conventions a lot and he was the sheriff in Night of the Living Dead so he he has a story in in there there as well I met him as well at the same conventions that we all did we we keep meeting at the same circuits actually Yeah. Um, but yeah now you once again famous for Night of the Living Dead of course producer writer of this classic movie plus you you the screenwriting and directing uh, of uh, Escape of the Living Dead which was a comic book I wasn't aware of that one I wrote the screenplay in the year 2000. Okay. 
because I was going to make a movie with Joe Wolf, who Westwood artist in L.A., and Joe wanted to do some kind of zombie script, and uh, I was supposed to write the script and direct the movie, and as soon as he put up the money, it turned out to be his daughter's script and some director who was a total oh jerk. Okay. And I get blamed for it. Oh, boy. And that's so, why I haven't heard... You I haven't mean, it was the worst experience of my life because... And I'm kind of backtracking. I'm not directly answering your question, but... Uh, Sorry to bring that well, one up, but no, I don't know okay. why I didn't hear about it. No, I don't mind talking about it because people might as well find out. I call it Night of the Living Abomination. <laughs> and uh, it, I had... All these people came to work, good people, people with credentials came to work on it because they thought it was going to be my script and I would be directing. So I had Tom Savini, I had Jerry Gurgley with two Emmy nominations for Babylon 5 and X-Files doing yeah, special excellent. effects and stuff. Yes, yes. I had Vince Guastini, who worked on Dogma and Last of the Mohicans and, and so on. And uh, they all came in... <laughs> And it turned out it was his daughter's script, a terrible script, and she wouldn't change one word of it. And then they hired a director named Tor Ramsey who couldn't direct his way out of a paper bag. He, he, did, he didn't know anything about blocking. I mean, this is kind of probably interesting for people, how you can have an idiot ruin a project. And uh, he, would, uh, he didn't know screen direction, blocking, pacing, editing, or anything. So in, in order to try to disguise that fact from us, he had Bill Heinzman hand-holding a 35-millimeter airflex through down there the whole shooting because then Bill could, he expected Bill to just pan every which way and catch all the action so he wouldn't have to block it. And, wow. and Bill ended up with a sprained back, and Bill said, you know, you're going to have, you're going to see the lights, the light stands. I mean, you can't pan all over a, a lit music <laughs> A movie set, and you know. So anyway, it turned out to be absolutely horrible. And I wanted to resign every minute, but if I would have resigned, all those people would have lost a summer's worth of work. So I stuck with it. And gracious of you. Which leads into his movie. Okay. I didn't we can come back to that script, Escape from the Dead, later. Yeah, let's talk about Mr. Chuck Corby perfectly here. into Chuck Corby's movie because well, that was in that movie, yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, he. Uh, that's true. I got uh, Tom, I mean, uh, Chuck Corby and his uh, band members, Walt Lachlan and uh, Tom DeJohn, and they came out to be posse members shooting down ghouls, so they at least got into the Children of the Living Dead. (laughs) Yeah, that was my question, Mr. Corby, too. I watched your video. Is your band in the video, your actual band in your video that's on your site? Is that them? That's your, okay, that you you play with them? Do you guys, oh, 40 years, holy smokes. Do you yes. guys still play live around here? Yeah, oh yeah. How do we catch you? Well, I don't know. We can check out our website, chuckcorby.com. Okay, that's what we want to play. Yeah, we're busy. Real busy. You're at Dimperio's a lot, which is a great yeah. place. And by the way, you like Italian of food, course. Dave. We were at the yes. casino last you know. week. And, uh, we used to travel a lot, though, back in the day. You know, we worked every resort there was. This Vegas, Hilton Head, uh, the Fontainebleau, we played them all. Absolutely. You can hear it in his voice right now, folks, if you're listening close. I mean, I listen to a CD, and uh, yeah, you're listening to a classic uh, crooner here, if you ask me. But, um, don't, uh, don't travel. We're too old now. <laughs> 
the but, voice but is still there. The thing is that that having done this this horrible movie that damn near killed me, <laughs> I wanted to do something really good, and so. Chuck and I teamed up. By that time, we had become friends. We were living right across the river from each other and didn't even know each other till Armin Martin, who was singing bass with him, and I grew up with Armin, he asked me to come to the Rib Festival and do some video on them, and I said, damn, this guy's good. You know, the whole festival. band's good. Best performance band I ever heard, and I got to know more about them, and I wanted to do a movie that, that was based around... Chuck has great stories about all the experiences, including... Checking himself in the not in the not house one time, he, ch- he checked himself in the not house because the mob guys were gonna were gonna were threatening to kill him because he did because he show up for the fountain blue, <laughs> not because of me. My so, guys had been on the road for like over fifteen weeks, and they said we're not going back out on the road. And I I signed the contract saying we're going, and I said, well, you're coming or else you're not gonna work anywhere again. So I said, best thing for me to do is. Check somewhere where it's going to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a New York boy, so I totally understand yeah. where you're coming from. I take that seriously. You, you and Heather have to come over to the next time I have a cookout, which might not be for a while now. The weather's changing and we're all booked up for oh, conventions. But, no but you got to come over to my house and get, we, when we sit around drinking and having cookouts, <laughs> then we get into all these stories and we laugh yeah. our butts off all night long. And she'll just, she doesn't drink, so she'll just record everything I'll just, yeah. and use it later. You don't drink? But no, she doesn't no, have to. She's you know no, what. I don't. Dave, this is your cue. What did Sinatra say about people who don't drink? Well, don't trust them? Or? <laughs> no, he said he, said he feels sorry for them. Because when, when they get up in the morning, that's as good as they're going to feel all day long. You know what? <laughs> Actually, you know what? I hate to say it was Marilyn Manson that said, don't trust anybody sober. But no, no, this is a good trick. <laughs> She's right now. She's thinking twice about the whole deal. <laughs> but uh, that brings me back to uh, we're talking about Italians again. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about my grandma's sauce. Oh uh, yeah. We went back and forth about mm-hmm. the all day sauce thing and how you keep the recipes in the family and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. If there any, is there any correlation between that and the uh, dark, rich, red blood of Italian-made zombie movies? <laughs> what is the well? You know, I have never seen <laughs> one Italian zombie movie. And I, I just, you know, I, I don't see them. all kinds of horror films. Because you make them. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't want to be influenced by other people's ideas. If there's some reason, that. like I wanted to see 28 Days Later because mm-hmm. we were using XL1 cameras in my movie-making program, and I wanted to see what the blow-up looked like. And some people think that if you... Some of these young people that have seen 20,000 movies think that there's something wrong with me because I haven't. I don't you know, but know. here's the thing, movie making, if you understand pacing, blocking, screen direction, how to tell a good story, then you understand it. It doesn't change, you know, and I was saying to Russ the other day, it, it, I'm talking about this very subject where sometimes people use it as a weapon, you know, well, you didn't see... Saw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You didn't see. How can you be up to date with what's happening? Well, I said to Russ, if you think about it, what one of the reasons Night of the Living Dead is still going on? That movie had a modern pace in 1968. Absolutely. That movie does not flag. Nope. Okay, and everything that we ever did, whether it was a commercial or an industrial or whatever, even the low budget films I've done have that same pace. So what happens, then you get it sold to a Hollywood company or some other whippersnapper comes in and all of a sudden they start tinkering with it. And then they don't realize they're destroying the pace that the scenes should 
should flip now. You know, the same should flip. Not to bring this one up, but what was it, the 2006 3D Night of the Living Dead movie? Um, uh, I, I did see it with Sid Hay. It's not the one with Sid Hay. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. All of those are unauthorized, and we're still fighting okay. with the copyright office, so and they've cost us that. millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's too long of a story to... But I want to go back to one that I really enjoy of yours, Midnight. Oh, are you still a fan of... Are you a fan and... Are you happy with that one? Like that, I, I was. Well, always, I, I, liked I mean, that one. we made that movie for seventy thousand dollars, thirty-five millimeter. Uh, the crew was me and three guys. You know, I had to do everything, including being out in my driveway practicing, setting myself on fire again. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 everybody was paid for the. That includes the blow up. It includes Lawrence Tierney. Every single thing was paid on seventy thousand bucks. I thought it was ahead of its time. Yeah, really thank did. you. Yeah. And that's the one we wanted. To, we were going to remake. Mm. Uh, and I was mm. scouted the locations, and I had a great cast. We were going to shoot in Stamford, Connecticut. Yes. Rob Lucas was financing it with uh, a loan from his mother, and I drove home in a snowstorm after just being really. Uh, ready to go, raring to go on that because the locations were perfect. We had Serena Vincent, we had um, Kane Hodder, I think uh, i to think who else was, I think Savini was going to do something in it, uh, but already I'm in my mind somewhere else. But but uh, her, on the way home, she's on her deathbed and died. Oh my God. So the estate went into tax problems and $4 million tax bill and so we didn't do the movie, but the script is... I, I did all the things in the script I couldn't afford to do back then, and it's a hell of a script. I hope to see that so, come out. Uh, well, midnight we're still we're going elsewhere to try to get the money for that. I think Rob Zombie mm-hmm. is one of those guys that was influenced by that movie. Just those scenes alone, especially the yeah. ritual scene. I saw a lot of the Firefly family with the family you chose there. And you didn't really have to explain how creepy they were for them to be creepy. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Midnight's a favorite of mine. But we ought to get back to the whole... Because Chuck's sitting there listening to me, blah blah blah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't mind that at all. I'm not much of a talker. Well, don't worry. We, we have all of his songs coming like through. I was, so. was going to lead into, you know. So I can't so. talk. I can sing a little bit, but I can't. Oh, we'll sing. Whoa. That's we, what we, they said when I wrote the performance. Let's see how that leads in. So look, even my, even my trying, he leads in perfectly to the. Mobster in the Whatever you're scene. ready to sing, you just uh, let me know. I'll shut everything down. <laughs> the, the thing, when I wrote the script, that Tom DeJohn, the guitar player, and Lenny, the guy at the Grove, they were performing at the Grove, and they said, well, who's going to play you because you can't talk? <laughs> I don't make the talk. <laughs> but he much. did a great job in the movie, didn't he? You, yes, you he saw? Did. Yes, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I showed it to George Romero at his house. And I was worried about, you know, you always worry, is somebody going to like the thing or not? Oh, yeah. So I said to George, what should I bring? He said, scotch. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sitting there drinking scotch, and I don't even smoke anymore, and I'm smoking his cigarettes. And the closing credits came up, and he gets on the phone. What the hell is he doing now? He says, Peter, I just saw the warmest, most heartfelt movie that I've seen in years. Oh, good, he liked it. He called Chuck up, told him what a great job. And then in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, just we were talking about all kinds of things, the new Night of the Living Dead stage play and all kinds of other things. And out of the blue, George starts talking about this movie that he saw 12 years ago, which was, you know, Salunatics, which is being retitled. Yeah. So he, got, he went on and on. 
he thinks it's some of my best work and all that and how good Chuck was. And this is Chuck so Corby right now nice, listening yeah. to. <laughs> Timing is everything. Um, yeah, well, this show that we do here, Kettle Whistle Radio, it's mm-hmm. eclectic ball of confusion a lot of times but uh, a blood filler of the mind will say we uh, we love horror and music we mix it up and that's why you guys are here you do both but how does like a horror guy like yourself transcend to start producing the music that you are now producing where where did it turn is this something you always wanted to do the music over movies well with Armin with the group yeah what you hear on us and yeah Armin uh, Armin Martin was a he was also a justice, judge. yeah. Really? And we had a lawyer in the group, too. Charles Presley, who's one of the top-notch lawyers in town. <laughs> so we were the only group that had a lawyer, a judge, and a criminal all in the same group. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like it. That writes and itself. Armin used to say that on stage. <laughs> that, that writes itself right there. You don't need any yeah, Armin and great. I grew up together, so... <laughs> in, uh, but as far as all I'm the different things... I mean, I've always been, George Romero, Russ Steiner, and I, we've always been uh, interested in every aspect of, you know, the culture, the political scene, the arts. Uh, We were, and we're pretty well educated, you know, to start with, and have kept learning, because, you know, George was a fine arts major at Carnegie Tech, which is now Carnegie Mellon. Russ graduated from Pittsburgh Playhouse School of the Theater. And I was a WVU graduate, English major, and so I want—I wanted to be a novelist, you know. I understand. And meeting George and Russ, I got bitten by the movie bug. But I've always been interested in music, and yeah. you know, we, and we've always produced and done whatever we could do, not just horror. We never. George said once, I never wanted to be a horror filmmaker. I wanted to be a filmmaker. That's how we, we were and are. A lot of good, film, great filmmakers yeah. start by doing a horror movie mm-hmm. first. I noticed that music is a big part of all your productions. It, it has a big part in each movie, and whether it's a scene or just like in the movie Midnight, the song Midnight, kind mm-hmm. of it's explaining the story and you play it throughout the movie yeah. and in the end again, and kind of a wraparound. So I guess music does just pretty much. Does it influence you to make the movie, or are you like you make the movie and you're like that? No, I go well. In the case of Chuck's movie. Of course, because they were musicians, and you know what influenced me was how how good they are, what a hell of a performance band they are, and what a great singer Chuck is. Now he's he's known as a as a world class soul singer. He has a big following in England. He has a, a big following all around the country. And I wanted to tell that story, and I wanted to weave the story that included their music because it was so good. But the other thing, Midnight, for example. Um, I didn't even, you know, you do a horror film like that, you don't necessarily think that it's going to have a nice lyrical song. And, and up front, I wasn't right. thinking that, but then I'm thinking, you know, I do need to score the passage where the girl runs away from home after her stepfather tries to attack her. People and have been so, doing it ever since. Rob Zombie's made an art form out of it, you know. Yeah. People have stolen your ideas. So I called uh, Paul McCullough, actually. He was my, He was my cameraman and editor on that. And Paul knew the Sound Castle from Squirrel Hill, uh, the Mazay family. There, you know, they they then were calling themselves the Sound Castle, and they have a studio in their home. And so, it was a matter of bringing them in and saying, "I need a song that scores this passage." And they're so good. I mean, they're really good. And, and they they came up with that song. So, 
in the, I used them again with my movie Heartstopper, a right. vampire film. Yes. And that happened because <laughs> the producer cast Moon Zappa. And Moon, yeah, that's one of my questions. How and the passage that? was supposed to have nudity in it because the vampire character has this power over women that they often have, but he, his is a little different. But <laughs> she wouldn't do the nudity, so... That's Moon Unit Zappa. You Moon know, Unit, that yeah. Frank Zappa's daughter. You know, oh, okay. Weasel and Moon, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask... I asked her, about. I said, what do you think uh, about being the name... Moon unit, and she <laughs> says better than Dweezil. <laughs> yeah, she did better in the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Dweezil, he that was Frank Zappa's nickname for his wife's little toe. Oh, and then he named that. his son after his wife's little toe. I'm oh. still learning I did not stuff. Know that. Yeah, yeah, right. See, that's we love musical so, anecdotes like that. Yeah, we eat that yeah. stuff up. The guy that played in Bonnie and Clyde wasn't he uh, in that movie. We have another Chuck Corby. Yeah. Who? Uh, <laughs> the little guy. Oh yeah, Michael J. Pollard was, yeah, in, he was in that Heartstopper. It, it's he was in Barney Five. Yeah, of what course, a, what yeah. a flake he is. But <laughs> they, uh, the uh, that movie, uh, Media Blasters, distributes it now under the title Dark Craving. Okay, interesting. It has you, a Sam. really good uh, extra. You know, the interviews in it are. They did a good job with that. Yeah. But they butchered some of the scenes. They did cuts that shouldn't have been made and make me look like an idiot. <laughs> But, well, uh, I'm glad you told us what it's called and how to find yeah. it now because uh, we have a lot of horror guys that ask me, you know, like, where is this movie? Well, if you tell us where to get yeah. it, I have people that would go for it. Well, Media Blasters, I think they're still in business, but they, yeah, I think so too. they have the rights to it. What were we talking about? Just well, that led me actually, uh, we're, I was going to segue to Mr. Corby here with um, the dedication on the back of your CD here. Your music comes from a real place. Would you want to talk about that? Your dad? Yeah. Yeah, dad, yeah. That, that's important. Well, the songs on this album... Uh, it says, Sings the Mob Hits. Chuck were, Corby sings the Mob Hits. My dad was a big Sinatra fan, and Dean Martin fan, and Bobby Darren. And, and uh, he, uh, in our show, actually, we don't do that many. We're mostly R&B. And uh, he'd have been really... Uh, proud and, so you dedicated this? Like that, yeah, he would have... Well, that comes from a real place. My, that's my, real music. If you ask my me. dad could sing much better than me. He sounded like Tony Bennett. Well, that's, that's incredible. Chuck says that, but I don't think anybody sings better than Chuck. There might be some people that sing just as well. But, <laughs> yeah, but of course, I never heard your dad. I did hear him and his dad. Well, yeah, we used to sing Stand on, on Stage to go. Oh, wow. They did Stand By Me Remember when his dad was you know, up in years by then. But he was sitting right next wow. to me, and all of a sudden he gets up on the stage and he's singing. And I'm thinking... Huh. I thought this guy sitting next to me was an Italian guy. He looks so Italian. And I'm thinking, well, Irish people can sing. <laughs> I didn't know his name was changed from Siora, you know. I didn't, I didn't know he was Italian. And I learned that, and then I put it in the movie. That line's in the movie. Yeah. So, A lot of the stories in the movie are true. Yeah, that's that's what was great. I wove them into the story. Now, in this movie, you said that the name has to be changed. We're gonna. Well, what happened? Um, we had we had eight original songs and six cover songs in the movie, which might be surprising. Heather, you didn't see it, but 
I mean, there's throat slittings. There's people that get shot. There's All explosions. Right. <laughs> there's money stolen from uh, the mob it's boss. All <laughs> it's know? all true. I mean, uh, but it still is uplifting. Yeah. But you, it might surprise you to know with all that going on that there's still this good music in it, you know, yeah. woven throughout. But uh, Bruno played Bruno, Bruno Sanatino. Yeah, he, he plays a, a mob boss yeah, that we really. work for him in his club. And, uh, I want to see this thing. <laughs> oh, I thought you did see it. No, I didn't see that oh, one. I saw the clips oh, on the website. Oh, okay. And I was just like, really, I was like, wow, okay, I can order it now. But can I order it? Or it's, it's going through title change right now? Well, so we can, can get you a, co- you a copy uh, sort of under the table, ah. but we don't want it to get out okay. to Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was going to tell you what the reason is that the Harry Fox agency lied to me and told me they had the rights to the cover songs, which were six of them. And they wanted a hundred thousand dollars. Well, we only spent a hundred thousand making the movie, so the movie's been. Even though the movie got good reviews, almost got into Sundance and everything like that, uh, we couldn't get a distributor. Nobody wanted to pay a hundred thousand for movie rights. Until I went to you got you might know. Do you know Shadow Free Media? I don't. Thanksville no. Road. Mm-hmm. Well, I met them at the Zombie Walk in Market Square. Okay. And they have a program about. Um, they want to do a program with me and Ross Streiner about um, they do ghost hunters or something. Oh, something oh like ghost hunters. That. Well, that's her that's competition. Right my yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your competition? No, kind of. Uh, she's well, friends with them. Well, they have, uh, anyway, uh, um, Jim Potalski, who runs that place, I- I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm doing the edit on the music video for Mob Hits and the Soul Singer. I mean, Mob, Mob Boss and the Soul Singer. Okay. And, uh, I see all these albums, platinum albums, gold albums, you know. I said, what's this all about? Walk over there and hear Potolsky has all these platinum and gold records for selling 500,000 albums in Japan and 500,000 over here. I said, Jim, maybe you know something about this. We, have, we haven't got good distribution on this. I could have made the small deals, you know. But uh, And I told him the problem. He said, you don't have to pay that money. He said, you might have had to pay that money if it was... You wanted the actual performances, but you have Chuck Corby sing these songs. So, and that's what we were told early on by Joe D'Onofrio, Chuck's manager in Atlantic City. Who's Joe DePessi's manager? Jeez. But, you know, there was a big conflict there. So now that we don't have to pay those rights, then we can now market the movie the right way, hopefully. And so that's why we're going there. out to do that. A familiar song right here, too, right? This guy singing right now? <laughs> yeah. Who's what this is guy? It? <laughs> a little John Russo original. <laughs> oh, that's me. Yeah. Big oh, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't have it loud enough. So. Big banana. I, I, well, I, I was waiting for you to notice. I thought, I thought Chuck, Chuck's talent slipped there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're quick. <laughs> that was really quick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had that rolling. There. I wanted to see if you could pick up on it. But, um, yeah, we have a, a lot of people that um, they listen to our show. They say they, they like our show. Uh-huh. Half the time, like we don't know what you guys are talking about because we get pretty eclectic. Yeah. We go deep into things. Yeah. I mean, Heather will tell you we just we dig deep into music. And I like I can't wait to hear what they say about this one. If we can open up people to new sounds, mm-hmm. even old sounds that they missed along the way, that's part of what we do here, right? Am I Excellent. Right? Yeah. Got anything? Um. Yeah, I had a few questions. Um, okay. 
Well, I know, obviously, the Night of the Living Dead has started so much fascination with zombies, especially in Pittsburgh, stuff mm-hmm. like that's everywhere with the zombie walks and everything, but what started your fascination with zombies? Um, it, nothing. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> because I wasn't fascinated with zombies. No? It was the reverse. I just thought, you know, I went to see every film that came into town, and we had three movie theaters in those days, and pictures changed twice a week. And I did like horror films, or wanted to like them, but you never saw, almost never saw anything any good. But I did like the Lon Chaney, Wolfman stuff, the Dracula okay. stuff, the Frankenstein, and you know, those kind of things. But Hollywood was churning out a lot of things with the same old trite, stupid plot. Like zombies, for example, didn't do much. They shambled yeah. around, threw somebody against the wall, tried to choke somebody, <laughs> and that was all tied to voodoo and Haiti and all that stuff. So I always say they weren't heavyweight fright material until we made them flesh eaters. I and, agree. And, oh, I and, agree. And, and, and that was my idea. That I, It was my idea they'd be after human flesh and they'd be dead people. That's okay. what made it scary because yeah. I saw so, like the Invisible Dead and yeah. all those like they just weren't scary. What are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Choke you? They can't even catch you. Yeah. But right. that, yours were just a mob that ate you and that was horrible. But that seemed, that's what seemed to do the trick. Yes. And, it really did. Uh, but but the, most of the movies you saw then were, were Attack of the Giant Crab, Attack of the Giant Grasshopper. Attack of the Crab Monster. Yeah, and you want thinking, gee, I just hope this is a decent movie, and it never Attack would be, you know. Yeah. The, the town drunk would see something, and nobody believed the him. Law. Of course. And then eventually <laughs> the town drunk got killed, and <laughs> then the scientists would get this slimy stuff and say, this looks like caterpillar, caterpillar ooze, you know. <laughs> Damn, it is caterpillar that, ooze. We must be. We I thought must, it was my soundtrack. We must be. It. We must be dealing with a yeah. giant caterpillar. Well, wait. You know what's a good one though? Green slime. Do you remember that one? I think I saw that. Was that was actually one. in color. That was the late sixties. Yeah, I, I think I did one. see that, and but, I didn't think a Blob was very good. The original, yeah, they were all Steve stupid. McQueen? Yeah, okay. But but the John in every one the 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 the, you know, the National Guard would come in in the end with tanks and flamethrowers and <laughs> that, that was, was it. And they all had the same. Yes, yes. You know, so when we made so uh, un- until that. I saw, um, I was on a break from college and I walked into a theater where Invasion of the Body Snatchers was playing and I knew nothing about it except. The people from the eight o'clock show were coming out with these stunned looks on their face, <laughs> and I thought, "Whoa, what am I going to see?" That's great. That's when I and saw Jaws the first time. I saw people yeah. come out, and I was a little kid then. But so I really liked that. I mean, I thought that was a really good movie. And during the making of *Night of the Living Dead*, the scripting and pre-production and everything, I kept saying, "We have to make something that has people coming out of the theater with those same shocked looks on their face." So good job. <laughs> thank you. And the other yes. thing was that as a group, you know, we like I say, we were filmmakers, we were educated, we were smart, I must have to say. And we wanted to we did a lot of talk about how we have to for once make a movie that really pays off and rewards the people that shell out five or ten bucks to see a horror film. We we didn't want ours to be one of those trite old flops. Again, you did it so I think if you come at it, whether it's music, chalk, right, if you have the people in mind, if you do your art or your entertaining and never forget the audience and the people that support you, you're going to do a better job than somebody that's just out there to milk them for their 
price of admission. Right. Yeah. yeah. Your trailer alone, I'll say trailer, when I was a kid, it was on TV on the Midnight Movie. Mm-hmm. And I, this is like 78, maybe, the, for me, the first time they were showing it on TV during when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And my grandma would stay up with me and watch these things. But um, I, this time I wasn't allowed because just the preview alone oh. scared the heck out of me. But I was intrigued. I had to go to bed. But the next morning, my grandma Laura, God bless her, she recited the whole movie to me until the point no where kidding. she fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> she fell asleep. I never knew the ending to it. But she just her reciting, it scared the heck out of me. Like, i got to see this movie. So when I got old enough or when they re-ran it, I got to see it finally. How old were you when you saw it? 78, I was, well, I was, well, let's see, no, that's 77. I was 7 or 8 years old. Mm-hmm. When I finally saw it in its entirety, I was probably 10, like 1980-ish. So. And it worked, yeah. it worked your brain and forever? It, well, no, I had. I needed more. I needed more, more, <laughs> more, more. To the point where, yeah, me and you, you know, I had to start writing it myself. Have so you I ever seen like, it? Never Heather? tired of it. Seen what? Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you must yeah. have. You're wearing Yeah, of course. Yeah, I own it. Hey, yes, folks, she's it. wearing a Night of the Living Dead t shirt. Yeah. And the back says they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yes. I saw that. Yeah. Well, how old were you when you saw it? I was, honestly, I was in high school. That's a great shirt. Yeah. I just saw it in high school. I'm 26. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not that long ago. So. She has old taste, though. She likes, she's good yeah, with music I'm, and movies. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm an old soul. Well, that kind of. She talks to dead people. Shut <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we gotta well, get a, do, I you get a have, do you have a ghost show. hunter type show? Um, yeah, I was on um, A and E's uh, Paranormal State. It's a um, was like a half an hour series based uh-huh. on a club, like a paranormal research club at Penn State University, which is oh where yeah, I, was I, w- I watched a couple of programs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Penn State, the Penn State people were credited. There was one uh-huh. like a, I think it was a stop on the. Uh, Underground Railroad, and it was a house in Mount Yeah, Lebanon. it was in um, it was in uh, Ross Township, Ross Park. Ross, Con- Ross yeah. Park, yeah, it's right near. Yeah, I must have seen yeah. that a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was a good one. You they didn't go to the Valley Hotel, did you? Valley, no. That's supposed some, to be haunted. Yeah, yeah somebody on one of those shows. There. Yeah, mostly around here, we just filmed at people's houses. Like uh-huh. we just had clients um, with haunted houses, but. Places around here, we've been to um, Hotel Conneaut, Conneaut Lake, we've been there. Oh, I've played there many Yeah, it's nice yeah. there, yeah. yeah, so. Have you been to Scarefest in Lexington? And by the I way, fans, no. we're just chit-chatting, but any of you <laughs> interested in horror and paranormal, Scarefest in Lexington, Kentucky is half and half, half horror, half uh, uh, paranormal stuff, and uh, Aaron Goodwin from... Uh, Oh, what's his show? Ghost Adventures. Oh, yeah. He's usually there. Yeah, yeah. And I met him there a couple of years ago, and we became friends. Aaron's a really great guy. In person, he's a great guy. And we I talk. haven't had a chance to meet any of those yeah, guys yet. Yeah, we, we've uh, got to go there. They, um, we've been talking about doing some things that have to do with Night of the Living Dead. And the yeah. fact that the house that we worked in when we did the remake was haunted. I, yeah, I heard about yeah. They say. Uh, I've had it, the idea in my head for a long time to do uh, uh, a story there. Yeah. And, be, I, I don't want to give it away oh. on the air. Yeah, you don't want to do that. In fact, I've been talking to Jim Patalski about it in Shadow 3. They're kind of interested in it. What kind of experiences have you had? Can you share Well, I... I guess I could tell you the nugget. It'd be hard for somebody to steal it and do the job we can do because we were involved. Mm-hmm. And, but the people that in the, that were working in the production headquarters, which was this old house, uh, it was a Victorian type house with uh, lions on the pillars and okay. all that. And the 
production office coordinator and other people, we were out up the farm not too far away, you know, shooting every day. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that they were hearing strange sounds and seeing strange things, and they believed it was haunted. And it turned out that uh, that house was owned by the guy that was known as the hanging judge of, of Washington County. Oh. And when, the, when Pennsylvania started electrocuting people instead of hanging them, the gallows was torn down, and they say that he built the back porch of his house out of the get wood from the gallows. Oh, wow. That's and that's why it's haunted. At the time we were making the movie, uh, George Romero, Tom Savini, and I all had daughters around uh, eight years old. So they'd be playing around all these zombies, you know, <laughs> and playing <laughs> at the production headquarters even. And I thought, well, you know, isn't it strange that here we are making a fake movie about zombies, sort of, <laughs> while the kids are playing in a real scary yeah. place? That would make yeah. not only a good documentary, because you could have me and Savini and Russ and all the people, the actors. You, We have a lot of behind the scenes. You could blend in footage from the... Uh, Russ shot a lot of stuff. You know that he owns. You could that footage could be blended in with the story, plus reenactments of the different murderers that were hanged and what they did. You know, hell, it would make one super documentary. But also, and that's what I was talking to Aaron about, and he he really liked the idea, but he's so damn busy with that series. <laughs> and um, they could, uh, you could make a, also a feature film with that premise. You know, like Spy Kids was so successful. It really was, too. Yeah, so I have a, an idea. It's called Zombie Kids. <laughs> you know, where the... Well, I don't want to tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's that. all right. Now, the... What <coughs> was that thing? Is the chapel still there? The I chapel... I saw a flyer that they were Gary Striner wanted to raise the money to refurbish that chapel, okay, and they do nice. have the money. They needed 50000 and I understand they have it, and it started to be done. Mm-hmm. And an architect, and... You know, it's underway. For me, I said, well, you know, it, it, it was a tool shed, and that's all I ever knew that it was, and yeah, that's what it was. It was only used as a chapel a couple of times, apparently, and uh, the reason they were going to tear it down, because it was falling down, and also the new tractors wouldn't fit into it. Uh. And then Gary and, you know, got people whipped up over it. I've helped some. I've gone to the picnic, and... You know, but it ain't me to care much about a shot chapel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked <laughs> but about other going people up do. there. Yeah, no, because I've never been up no, to see we're that. We're going to shoot there. I think we're going to yeah. film something there. We have some ideas to do something pretty cool. These we'll weird sounds you're hearing, people, are not Claire Bell the clown working <laughs> as honker. It's me with a cold. It's not my special effects. This time <laughs> <laughs> we do add them later as well, but usually during the show we have some sound effects. As a matter of fact, part of our show is that guy right there. <laughs> You see that zombie right next to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, put him by the mic and squeeze him. That's Carl. Yeah, Hello, just, Carl. Yeah, just, that's all right. That's broken. Carl zombie. Yeah, just squeeze, squeeze him. Yeah, squeeze him. When he squeezes... Squeeze the middle of his head. Squeeze the middle of his head. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, there I got him go. in the zombie walk last year. So well, he makes Russ, I get jealous of Russ and George Cassano when we're at conventions. Because they get yeah, asked to do Cassandra. their famous lines, you know. I know you're you know, yeah. okay, never mind. Yeah. Russ had the, uh, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara, yeah. and all that. And yes. He gets asked, but then he charges people a quarter if they say it. 
He says he gets a royalty. <laughs> they go along with it. They give him bags of quarters. <laughs> and, uh, Gene Simmons and Cassano, they fight over who had the most famous line that he had. They're dead. They're all messed up. What was it like to work? And with then Tom I Sabine say, Sabine? then I try to get in the game, and I say, "You want to hear my line?" And they say, "What line?" And I say, "Because <laughs> <laughs> I was a zombie that got the tire." And oh, the I know that. I know that. Just like at midnight, you showed up um, in both, like as a coroner and a cop, right? Oh no, that was in Majorettes. Which a Majorettes. I, I Major didn't want to do, but Heinzman said you're going to have to do it. Heinzman was directing. And he said, "You're going to have to play it." I thought because, it was funny that you showed up. Uh, I'm not going to cast any else. I've never seen that. I was a baton yeah. twirler all through oh, high school and junior high, so I was happy to see you made a film about me dressed, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. It, if you oh, like the '80s slasher it, thing, it's okay. yeah. right it's, in the vein of the '80s It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it was sold all over the world, but you know, a lot of shooting and explosions at the end of that movie. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I, um, but Tom Savini, I, I wanted to ask you earlier, mm-hmm. what does he like to work with? And do you you see him often now, or we? Yeah, I see him at conventions, and then a few months ago, Russ and Russ Strider and Tom and I, along with Rob Lucas, Rob's graduated full sale, so he set up a thing for us to go down there for uh, and do a talk with the, their student body, and we thought for a while we were going to shoot Midnight down there, but then oh, we didn't. But uh, I would love to see that happen. They were honoring. Yeah. They have a they have a Hall of Fame weekend, and they honor their successful graduates, and that's what the weekend was. And so we were at this big fancy. They do things, you know, grandiosely. Everything they do is done well. All right, kiddies. That was part one. Part two next week. Again, Night of the Living Dead. March 2nd, the Hollywood Theater, as seen in the movie Perks of Being a Wallflower, as well as in the book. And March 16th <laughs> is, also at the Hollywood Theater, is John Russo's Mob Boss and the Soul Singer. All right. Later. Thanks for listening. Some jello, okay? Okay, let's settle that. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.